West Bowles. Good morning. I want to thank you all for being here, especially if it's your first time or first time in a long time. Uh, my name is Nathan, and uh, recently I've found myself saying more and more, I get the privilege of being pastor here because of what this place is about. And you heard it earlier, but recently we've been saying it this way, and we believe the church has always been about this, that this would be a place where you can connect with Jesus, connect with people, and connect people with Jesus. And we'd love to have you come back next week and join us in doing just that. Well, in light of the day it is, and in light of the reason we're here, this next sentence may sound a little out of left field, just bear with me, but we need to talk about Millie Vanilli. We need to talk about Millie Vanilli this morning. Uh, specifically, not just Millie Vanilli, my young devotion to Millie Vanilli. And if you don't know who Millie Vanilli is, I will not be singing, I will not be dancing, but we want to give you a little like 28-second introduction to them. Let me just tell you this. If you've been having a rough morning, this may be the most incredible 28 seconds of your morning, possibly your year, maybe your life. Take a look. I mean, we could close in prayer right now. <laughs> Happy Easter. Oh, I loved Millie Vanilli. This was 1989. Cassette tapes were the rage. I had every album. I knew the dance moves. I wanted their hair. I, I mean, you name it. And yeah, did you see it? That was disgusting. Okay. <laughs> Get that down, please. <laughs> but I did. That's what went through my brain when I was younger. I wanted to be Millie Vanilli. I mean, I watched every live performance they had. And then one day, some of you know the story. They were performing on live TV at an award show and tens of thousands of people watching. And mid-performance, mid-performance, I mean, it sounded just like the album. Just like the album. And it looked like these guys were singing and then suddenly the, the music starts skipping. And these guys, that everybody was sure it was their voice, they just took off. They didn't know what to do. They ran backstage, and nobody saw them for a while, understandably. Well, now it's common practice. That when somebody's up singing, they've got a backup track, but not in, not in that day. It's just not something that happened. Well, as, as more information came to the surface, what we discovered was that the two guys that were the face of Millie Vanilli were never even singing at all, not on the albums, and they were not who everybody thought that they were. And, and what I learned at a very young age, learning from my Millie Vanilli lesson, was that when our devotion to something ends in disappointment, we easily overlook signs of life. I mean, I was devastated for months. I was like, you know what, forget it. I don't want your hair anymore, Millie Vanilli. And I threw my cassette tapes away and I tried to wipe the lyrics away, but you can't. I mean, those lyrics are pretty timeless. They're, they're stuck in many of our brains if you grew up in the 80s and 90s. But I was just devastated. And I'm guessing you know something about that disappointment. 
You know, for some of us, it's like when you get to the bottom, you've devoted yourself to a carton of ice cream, and you take that last bite, and it's like, there's some sadness setting in right now. Or, or there's all the buildup to the Super Bowl, because you've watched all season, and the Super Bowl ends, and you think, what? Now we've got to wait until September, and it's difficult. Or maybe more, more up-to-date, it's like you've devoted yourself to binge-watching Stranger Things, and when that last episode finishes, that it just came out two days before, right? And you're like, I've got to wait till next July now. We all get the disappointment that comes on the heels of devoting ourselves to something. But maybe on a deeper level, you get this. Because maybe you devoted yourself to making the team, and you sat the bench. And it's hard to know how you go forward because that's not what you thought it was going to be. It's not what you pictured. You devoted yourself to a scholarship and couldn't keep the scholarship. You devoted yourself to years of a career. And then they hired somebody younger with newer methods that they could pay less. And it's just not going the way you thought it would. You devoted yourself to a relationship, to raising a child. And now it doesn't look the way you pictured And when devotion ends in disappointment, it gets very easy to overlook the signs of life. And I know there are some stories in here. There are some stories in here that for you, that devotion was to Jesus at one point, or maybe it's what it is right now. You think, Lord, I'm 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 trying to devote the time, the energy to go to church, to get to know you, to read your word, to pray, and I just can't, I can't see it. Because when I look at life in front of me, it's just... It's a disappointment. And it it becomes very easy to overlook the signs of life that are there. And if that's you, or if that has been you in any area, but specifically following Jesus, then I want to tell you about a woman who had an encounter with Jesus. Her name is Mary Magdalene, and she was the picture of devotion to Jesus. Mary had been healed by Jesus, And as a result, she actually, it's suspected she had quite a bit of money. And so what she did is she and a few other ladies followed Jesus and his disciples around, and they supported his ministry. Whenever expenses came up, they would cover them. And she she devoted her time, her energy, her money. Aren't those the pictures of what we give to when we devote ourselves to something? And then when it came time for Jesus to be crucified, you know where Mary Magdalene was? She was the last one at the cross. After all had scattered and all had left, it was Mary Magdalene and a few others. And when he was buried, who was there? It was Mary Magdalene. And and it's so interesting to me when when we do funerals here. When you see who walks through the door, they are people who have been devoted to the one that the service is about. And then finally, as we'll see in just a moment, she was the first one at Jesus' tomb one morning. And if you are sitting here dealing with the disappointment of devotion, whether it's to Jesus or anything else, you gotta know what happened at the tomb one morning with Mary Magdalene, because it is great news for you and for me. And so let's take a look. This is in, a man named John wrote an account of the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 20 of John's account of Jesus, here's what it says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I love John. John doesn't refer to himself as John. John's like, okay, disciples, he liked you. He loves me. 
all right? That's John for you, okay? The one Jesus loved and said they've taken, excuse me, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We don't know where they put him. Now, 2,000 years later, we know this is great news. Stone rolled away from the tomb of Jesus, that's incredible news for us. Mary didn't know that in the moment. All Mary could see, did you pay attention to her language there? The stone was rolled away, so they. They must have taken them because grave robbing was a common practice. They took his body. You sitting there right now? Are you sitting in that situation? Is that what you're telling yourself? When you look at that area of disappointment that you've been so devoted to for so long, you've poured your time, you've poured your energy, you've poured your money into it. Is there a they? All we can see is they because that's what often happens. And what happens is we miss out on a sign of life here. We miss out on the evidence of God because we're looking at the effects of other people. Mary doesn't see that this is the work of God. She sees that this is other people's doing. We get this. There is an author named Kerry Patterson. He wrote a book called Crucial Conversations. And in Crucial Conversations, he talks about the different narratives that are common, that roll around in our brains. And one of the most common narratives is this villain narrative, where we look at everybody else and we go, oh, they, they robbed me of They took from me. They stole from me. They affected my life. We get this. Think about the last time you got cut off in traffic. Got it? Okay. Was your response, was your response as follows? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. My fellow human being has exposed my distorted view of myself and others. And this is an opportunity for you to work, God. No, we don't think that. We think you woke up this morning, you tracked me on Find My iPhone, you found my coordinates, you know my license plate, and you intentionally cut me off to make me miserable. That's what we think. And we overlook the evidence of God because we're looking at the effect of people. And now Mary, in this mindset, she begins to weep at the tomb of Jesus. We'll pick up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw, look at this, two angels in white. Two angels seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, if you pay attention to people's encounters with angels in Scripture, it is an incredible experience. I mean, angels could wipe out armies, and they did. They could also meet people in the wilderness and nourish them. But regardless of what the situation was, angels, whenever somebody came face to face with an angel, it was just awe and wonder and shock and fear and trembling. And here's Mary weeping and just unfazed, unfazed by all of it. And so they ask her a question. Verse 13, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And in that moment, we discover these angels are men. Because only a man would see a woman crying and ask, why are you crying? (laughs) This happens with my daughters all the time. I see them crying, and I'm like, hey, why are you crying? And Kara, my wife, is just like, it's not how we do it. It's not how this goes, Nathan. Woman, why are you crying? They have taken, there's they again, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I 
don't know. I don't know where they've put him. You see the shift in emphasis? She's now moved from they to I. And as you look at the situation in front of you, as you think about that thing or that area that you were so devoted to, they did something to create baggage. They made it hard for you to come back. They made it difficult. They gave you all kinds of trauma in that area. And now I don't know how to fix it. And I don't know how to repair it. And what Mary's doing is she has now shifted from looking at them to looking at herself and going, what am I going to do about it? And not only did Mary miss the evidence of God, now she's about to miss an experience of God. I mean, she's talking to angels. It could be an incredible experience, and all Mary is looking for is an explanation. We miss the evidence of God, and we miss the experience of God because we're looking for an explanation. One of my favorite examples of this is, is just simply to ask the question, would you rather experience a kiss or have an explanation of a kiss? Think about it. In fact, let me read you the explanation of a kiss. This is disgusting, all right? <laughs> Two people press their moist, creased facial passageways together. Cinch tight the muscles that draw the flesh around the oral cavity together into a bulbous mound and exchange breath, thus creating an expression of fondness for one another. You still want an explanation. I, I read that to my wife like three years ago, and she has not given me a kiss since. And so, um, but this is what happens. We overlook the evidence of God. We can even overlook an experience of God. And now Mary, she is so distraught. She's so disappointed. She's now weeping so much that she's about to turn away and leave. And something happens. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? And instantly all the men were off the hook because Jesus asked that question. Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She didn't even recognize him. Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Thinking he was the gardener. Sometimes, sometimes, we just flat out miss Jesus right in front of our face don't we? Because all I can see is what they took and how I don't know. And so what, what I see in front of me just looks really, really ordinary. And the reason for that is because we are wired or, or we're drawn to, especially in the culture we live in, we just want all excitement all the time. And Mary looks at what she thinks is a gardener and is actually her Lord, her Savior. It's Jesus himself. And she can't see it. And I have to think we do the same. We look at our situations the same way. We miss the evidence of God and experience of God and the presence of God. Why? Because we're looking past what's ordinary. Many of you probably saw this picture in the media this week, Notre Dame Cathedral. 
The spire on this 850-year-old building burned this week, and this picture surfaced. And as we look at it right now, of course, we're probably drawn to that gold cross, and we can see it, but you also see all kinds of wreckage and burnt, charred remains. And I have to wonder, we can see it in this picture, but how are we looking at that area of disappointment right now? Do we just see ordinary? Do we see wreckage? Do we see the remains of what we thought it was going to be? It's a question worth asking ourselves, but I want to direct you to one more thing that Mary said. And it was in the last verse we read. She said this, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I will get him. You know what that's the statement of? That's the statement of a very devoted person. That's the statement of somebody who looks at the situation in front of them and they said, I'll take responsibility, I'll shoulder the burden, I'll make it happen. And that's great. I love people who take responsibility. But when it comes to this, Mary can't really do anything about this. And Mary, who can't see the evidence of God and experience of God, the presence of God, you know what she did? She shifted her focus from God's doing and God's working to human, to human doing and working. And she missed it. And as a result, she became disappointed in people and dependent on herself. And you know, you know what is most interesting to me about all this? What did Mary show up to the tomb looking for? Jesus. But she was looking for the dead body of Jesus. When all I can see is what other people have done to me, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make it happen, you know the most we can really hope for is the dead body of Jesus. That's it. In fact, there are stories in this room that when you were younger, you had this devotion to Jesus, or maybe you're there now, there was this devotion to Jesus, but somewhere somebody put in our minds that if I just attend, if I just devotion myself enough, right? If I just devote myself to attending church enough, to avoiding sin enough, to fixing people enough, to making life extraordinary enough, then I'll be okay enough in God's eyes. And that's really not good news. That's really bad news. Because there's going to come a point where we can't live up to that standard. And that's why, that's why what Jesus does next is the only, only, only thing that can snap Mary and you and me out of that kind of thinking. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, is there any sound sweeter than the sound of our name? I mean, think about it. When you know how you feel when somebody remembers your name, when they use your name, when they know your name, when someone says our name, that does something that gets our attention unlike any other sound can. Try it right now in the quiet of your seat. Whisper your name. Go ahead, everybody's doing it, all right? Whisper your name. 
there is no sound like it. And that's from a human perspective. Now think about this. The one who created everything around us, the one who transcends time and space, who set the planets and aligned the stars and knows them by name. He knows your name. He knows your name. When he was crucified on the cross, do you want to know what one of his final questions was? Father, why? Why have you forsaken me? And there was silence from the heavens. And there was no reply. There was no sound. And Jesus died. And three days later, after he asked this question, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what the answer was? For Mary. For Mary. And for every other name in this room. God says, Jesus, I forsook you for Mary and for you and for me. That's why Jesus was forsaken. When you can't see the evidence of God, when you can't feel an experience of God and you can't sense the presence of God, do you know what his response is? You have the acceptance of God. Because it was never about your doing and my doing and our devotion. Our devotion was not the requirement to get right with God. Jesus' devotion was the requirement to get us right with God. And what Mary discovered in that moment and what we've got to be reminded in that moment is that Jesus stepped from the tomb of our doing to share the value of our being. Jesus stepped from the tomb of our doing to share and to communicate and speak to the value of our being. That is good news. Because you do not have to devotion him out of the grave. In fact, it was out of his devotion that he went to the cross, was buried, and came out from the tomb because he is alive with a big smile on his face, he says, you have the acceptance of God. And as we'll find out in a moment, Jesus says, and I've got plans. And I've got a purpose for you, Mary and Nathan and John and every single name in this room. I have a purpose for you. But, but there's a piece in there. And it's what Mary said next. She cried out, Rabbani, Rabbani. There were different phrases for rabbis in that culture, but this was the highest. Rabbani, it was the highest. This did not just mean teacher. This meant master. This meant Lord. This meant savior. This meant king. And Mary, the picture of devotion, suddenly got it. Mary realized it wasn't my devotion that everything hinged on. It was Jesus' devotion. And Mary discovered that devotion is not the requirement to be right with God. It is the response to a God who calls our name. Would that, would that change something for the situation that you've been so devoted to, that you're so disappointed in? Knowing that even though I can't see the evidence of God, I can't feel an experience of God, I don't even know about the presence of God he says, that's okay. You have the acceptance of God. 
What is your response to that? For Mary, it was king, savior, Lord. What's her response? Would you consider your response? On a day that, he, that we, we acknowledge and we remember that he stepped out of the tomb of our doing to share the value of our being, that's great news. That's really great news. And then Jesus does something so, so unthinkable. This would have been absolutely unthinkable in that culture, in that day and age, because women were not thought highly of. You may have heard this. Women were not thought highly of at all. They had zero credibility. Not much value at all. And here's what Jesus says. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, Mary. I know you'd like to keep this like moment between us, but do not hold on to me. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You know, the disciples get all the credit for getting the word out about Jesus. You want to know who it was before the disciples? The most unthinkable to that culture, the most unthinkable, unworthy, unlikely, unbelievable person. A woman, Mary Magdalene. And that's who he used on that morning to get the word out that he is alive. Now, let me ask you, now on this morning, you may be looking at your life, you may be looking in the mirror and thinking, I am the most unlikely, unthinkable, unbelievable, unworthy person to get the word out. You know what Jesus says? I don't care. I'm calling your name. What will be our response? I'm going to call up the worship team. Will you, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who you looked at us and you realized there was just no chance we could ever devote, devote, devote ourselves enough to get right in your holy sight. And so what, what did you do? You sent your son let us be reminded today and every day that before we were ever devoted to you, you were devoted to us to the extent that you would put your son on a cross, to the extent that you would raise your son from the grave, to the extent that you would speak through your son and call our name. Let every single person in here feel the value of their being in your eyes. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka this morning in, in the midst of um, just unimaginable tra tragedy as we reflect on Columbine 20 years later, as we reflect on Oklahoma City years later, 24 years later. Lord, we look around and where it's hard to see evidence, experience or presence of you, you say, that's all right. You have my acceptance and I have a purpose for every single person. Remind us of that, deepen that in our hearts, and let us glorify your name today. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross, and thank you for bringing him from the tomb. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>